Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of That Dan Band Show is brought to you by the Captain U Recruiting Platform, powered by Stack Sports. Captain U is breaking into the band space to offer support to high school students who are looking to perform in band at the collegiate level. With over 10 years in the recruiting industry and over 3 million student profiles created over the years, Captain U has long been a leader in athlete advocacy and support. Now, it's time to provide that same support to band performers. Captain U creates a direct line of communication between musicians and college band directors. With the LinkedIn-style profile, performers can put their best foot forward with searchable criteria like their position, academic info and test scores, audition videos, director recommendations, and potential majors. Performers can directly message college directors to learn about scholarship opportunities, a university's academic strengths, and ultimately place themselves at the right institution. If you are a high school band student looking to perform at the next level, go to CaptainU.com and create a free profile today. It takes less than five minutes and will save you time and money. And for a limited time, we are offering performers 50% off an upgraded profile by using the promo code TDBS21. That's right. 50% off an upgraded profile on CaptainU.com by using the code TDBS21 at checkout. Sign up on Captain U, gain exposure, and get recruited. Powered by Stack Sports. All right, we are live. Well, we're recording. We're not necessarily live, but we're live here together. And we have a very special guest, a supporter of not only this podcast, actually, but also just me as a person. And I'm a supporter of you. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and, and what you do. My name is Matt Verberg, and uh, I am the uh, founder, creative director of Lot Riot, a brand here in the marching art space. Uh, clothing, fun stuff. Uh, love going to shows and uh, using my what skills I have may not have been as a drummer. They only got me so far. So I had to find some other skills to uh, stick around in the uh, in the marching space. Right. So, um, you know, I, I remember us kind of meeting after uh, WGICON, which was, that's right. I can't even remember now, it was in the 20, right after the 2019 season in New Orleans. And that's kind of when we we hooked up and started working together. And, and I don't think a lot of people out there know what your background necessarily is. So you just talk to us a little bit about sort of how you came up through the marching arts and what you did and sort of what led you to the inception of starting this clothing brand. Oh, Sure. I, uh, from Orlando, Florida, currently in Vicksburg, Mississippi, but grew up uh, in the Orlando suburbs, marched in high school, marched at UCF, 
marched at Disney World during college, played some drums uh, for the mouse at Magic Kingdom. And then in Orlando, uh, started some indoor drum lines in the high school. Uh, the group that kind of got some notoriety was Timber Creek Independent. Gosh, this must have been 05, 06, 07, those kind of years. And uh, we were a group that came out independent. We went from high school to independent. We started independent. A, got promoted to independent open, got promoted to independent world, and made world finals. That's all in one season. And I do not recommend that to anyone. That was, uh, it was exciting and terrible. Meanwhile, I was in business school. I, I did not pursue the music performance or education degrees that are great at UCF, but kind of decided to do what my dad did, kind of stay in business, um, knowing through my Disney experience that business can open doors in lots of different areas, right? So you can be a musician in the music space, or you could be a businessman in the music space. And that's kind of where I was thinking, teaching these indoor drum lines and kind of developing some merchandise for those groups. Uh, I marched uh, drum corps and was uh, designing little merch pieces for Southwind, where I marched and where I was teaching. And then for Timber Creek Independent, we uh, started to kind of gain a little traction just with our merchandise and how cool it was and how the members appreciated the little, you know, the, what effort was put in to our merchandise pieces. And that's, I had a pretty serious light bulb moment. It's 2011 or 2012 to, you know, in Florida, everyone has a skater look or a surfer look, everybody surfs. And if you don't surf, you still wear surfer stuff and you still wear skaters. <laughs> yeah. Cause you want to be associated with the lifestyle and what we were doing in the drumline space is as much of, if not more of a lifestyle than some of the skaters who, you know, would skate for a half hour after school. Meanwhile, you know, the band kids and the drum kids, it's a, it's a class, it's after school, it's weekends, it's summers, it's over holiday weekends. You can't uh, say that this isn't a lifestyle, but there wasn't anything really representing that beyond band shirts. And that was disappointing because those band shirts come off as soon as uh, you aren't required to wear them. You aren't wearing them anymore. Right. They go in the bin. Absolutely. Or, I mean, my dad was mowing, you know, the lawn and all my extra large because that's the only you know size they would have. All these extra large band shirts would become, you know, uh, yard work T-shirts. But my students and I were not wearing we're wearing other brands. And so that was kind of the light bulb moment was, Hey, we're doing something just as big, just as good, just as exciting. Um, maybe even more so. So let's start something that represents us. Absolutely. That, that is, it's super cool to hear that because I feel like you and I just were kindred spirits in that way. Like, you know, for people who don't know, like I, before I got serious about drumming, I was very serious about skateboarding and it was a, eight hour day commitment when I wasn't at school, you know, like we, we would go out on the weekends and we would be out there all day, you know, no money, just getting by, like trying to use our, our change to like get something to eat in the middle of the day. And that was such a big part of, of my life. And I kind of not haven't thought too much about this before, but like, I wonder what you think about, skateboarding and drumline culture specifically what what draws because i know a couple people that went from or go back and forth like i i have a board and i i can actually kind of bust it out it's a lot harder being older and doing those tricks but 
what do you what do you think kind of attracts people to those two cultures specifically? It's a great question. Uh, I feel like there is in the skateboard space, it's purely, purely individual and independent. You can be on a team, you can be on a squad, you can be with a crew, but there's no, there's not that sense of uniformity, right? There's, um, it's purely independent. It's purely you on your board in your own head, which is its own amazing discipline. And this is, I mean, they're totally polar opposites, but it's golf as a sport in the sort of way of your own head. And it's, you have to do your own thing and you have your own equipment and it's on you. Golf, of course, they probably have a little more change for uh, lunch on a Saturday. Yes. But there's this independent nature specifically to drumline, in my opinion. And yes, you could say this about a lot of different instruments because my history is on the drumline side of things. I saw that independent nature in the students of drumline specific, again, just my experience, that then had to turn itself off for a sense of uniformity, for a, uh, a sense of creating a single sound together. And yet the individual spirit, that individual attitude is still there, which I find extremely interesting. So where the skateboarder never really has to sacrifice that individuality for the success of a larger group, that's one of the things that really, in analyzing, you know, the, what we do, there is that we're that we're, we we are these polar opposites. We are the individual. We are the fun. We are the just as you know smart and interesting and sort of these these social beasts. That for the length of this rep or for the length of this ensemble rehearsal, we have to turn off that individuality um, to really reach these not just group goals. It's not a basketball team where everyone does their own thing to make the team win. We are doing the exact same thing in the exact same millisecond in the exact same space. We are creating robotic versions of ourselves to link in arms with our brothers and sisters to do something that creates a greater good, a a louder sound, a more effective uh, piece of the puzzle. I'm sorry if I'm waxing romantic about it, but it's kind of exciting. It's very interesting, yeah, and I haven't thought about this whatsoever before, but now reflecting, I think something that I felt drove me in both those activities, and you know, I did do the conventional team sport thing, and yeah, none totally of them fine. clicked for me. You know, yeah, I'm I'm also five six, so there's not too much of a future. I, I could have gotten into maybe wrestling or or powerlifting or fighting, which I kind of wish I can see it. Yeah. Like I kind of, I kind of wish I, I had like done some wrestling in younger years in terms of, of skating and drumming too. Something that I feel there there's a similarity, at least from my experience was I would put myself around people that were either on par or better than I was. And I would learn from being with them. So like one of my really good friends and I was a little kid um, Dennis Feldman, who great dude. And he ripped, like he was getting sponsored by the local shops. We we both were meddling in competitions, but he was, he was on another level and moving even faster and was in that direction. And being around someone like that, you're like, that is, that is something that I haven't accessed yet, but I'm seeing it and I'm seeing the type of person and commitment that it takes to do it. And then uh, being around someone like Tom Gasparini, for example, who, you know, I marched Hurricanes and United and Rhythm X with, like, we just came up through the the grind together. And he was so naturally talented. 
it drove me to be like, there's a higher level to this. And here it is. There's someone here. Of course, there is always internal competition, too, because you're saying like there's this it, it was just such a weird paradox. There's just like we need to be uniform and like breathe together and all the tiny details that nine people in a snare line have to do. But also, you know, as well as anyone, there is a competitive spirit even on the same team. We we're like, yo, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to reset faster. I'm going to hit my dot more consistently. So there's these odd kind of paradoxes in in both of these areas where it's like individual and then team or your social group because there is so much of that in drum corps and indoor too is like different groups have these like social kind of overlaps and i think lot riot is a place where that sort of happens to people from various competitive backgrounds for example yeah well you just described how someone like yourself or myself would continue to get better right there are tons of folks that don't really make it have no desire to make it past a high school ensemble. And that's perfectly fine. But it's it's the folks who are looking to get better, looking to push themselves, looking to be the worst person in the room and being okay with that. Those are the ones that grow, right? If you find yourself as always being the smartest, the most adept, the most skilled person in the group that you're hanging out with or playing with, you're going to flatline pretty quick. And that will only take you as far as, you know, your own self-discipline, which at times we've all struggled with that. So let's put ourselves in a room with better people who are smarter, who are more experienced, who might be more naturally talented. I was never one of the naturally talented guys. I always found, found myself middle of the road in terms of talent. Um, but I soaked up what I could. I watched the videos. I found people better than me and put myself in situations where I was out of my depth. But I got to grow into those. And when we're talking about super high level groups, whether it's indoor or outdoor, I think these drum lines are full of people like you, like me, like, like what we've been talking about. And yes, that's what Lot Riot hopes to represent. We want to represent even, you know, those high school groups, too. But we want to kind of create this sense of let's grow. Let's get bigger. Uh, you're in this together. No one no one's doing this alone. It's the folks that are doing it alone. That can that can fade out, that can fizzle out, that can feel defeated. And uh, what can we do? What can anyone do to help encourage those folks? Yeah, uh, that's that, that's cool, and, and I totally get what you're saying. I, I want to kind of go back and and think more on um, some of these less um, physical and more maybe cultural or stylistic parts of what what you do or what I do looking at the marching arts space until if you ask me until very recently the traditional aspects were kind of superseding some of the creative aspects of the activity so it was more about uniformity and cleanliness uh, technicality and the nuts and bolts of being a musician and marching drill and We've obviously seen this start to change from from that to a more stylized, interpretive, creative, artistic realm. And now we have a little bit of friction between is it art or is it uh, competition? And, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Mike Jackson kind of about this and the way people even people that are placing right next to each other have such different visions for what it is. I think Lot Riot's interesting because 
if you look at a traditional band uniform and then you look about at what you were discussing in terms of merch and in terms of the aesthetic around a program, it was very square. It was not really important. And I think we've seen this turn as the art has grown more creative, that the branding aspect around these groups has become its own vehicle for the group to speak to the public. And as you know, and this is one of the sparks that got us together was like, I care a lot about that. Mason is that we're not just designing shows and being a competitive drumline, but that like we are a brand that has something behind it, has a voice. And I wonder from your perspective, how explicit that evolution has been to the point where we are like a brand can actually prosper. That's streetwear. And isn't just like these crappy prints on a Gildan shirt going and thinking about the materials and thinking about the colors you're using and thinking about the language that you use. This doesn't just happen automatically. This is a new thing. So I just want to hear like what your perspective was as this change has occurred through time. You accidentally probably asked 5,000 great questions, or at least you have sent me in what could be a million different directions. I was a director and designer of a group, Timber Creek Independent, kind of at at the turn, this was 2008 to 2011. We were an independent world-class group, myself with uh, Cliff Walker. I can't, I can't tell any TCI stories without acknowledging probably, you know, my big brother when it comes to uh, design. He was musical and I was visual. Now at the Cavaliers. That's right. What a great uh, front ensemble book they had this year. Great show. I know that this isn't DCI recap, but how fun, how incredibly fun was the season to see those shows. We felt like we had an identity as well. We were doing shows with modern music. We did not do a whole lot of studying of the art form. We did not model our shows after anyone at the top. We just created. We just did what we thought was cool. We created shows that fit the skill set of our students and went from there and put it in the hands of a system of a set of judges. And we didn't care. We were creating, we were making art and also building relationships with students to turn them into good humans. That was the core of it. And I think at the time we didn't have the infrastructure to turn that into a competitively successful attempt. You know, those, we, the, the competition and the art for us didn't mesh. It was then that that sort of outlet for the merchandise, for the brand, how do we speak to a larger audience? How do I become an, an inspirational instructor, which I always tried to be? How do I do that for an even larger group, not just 40 members, but an even bigger group? How do I turn the entire activity into a, I don't know, a, a, a scene, S-E-E-N, a scene group of people? I mean, you're talking about being a director and you are looking at your group in a certain way and the way that you can do things, the way you can approach branding the group, the way you can approach the design and the brand together. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, this is a moment where the activity can support a a, brand, a clothing brand. I don't think there was a brand, a clothing brand before Lot Riot that was specifically for the arts that wasn't like FJM has... MTX shoes and D you know, Vipers. And we have our like utility stuff, but we didn't have a brand that was creating clothes just 
for the marching arts. I think that's a new thing. And that moment came and you, you're the one that picked it up. So how did that, why was it you? Yeah. Well, there, there were folks making t-shirts and there were folks, you know, kind of doing the souvenir and merchandising sort of route. All, all the drum course kind of depend on souvenirs, but in terms of an independent brand that was focusing on uh, quality and design, yes, I, we were, we were the first. Um, running this brand is so similar to running a world-class ensemble. And I feel like that was just in, in my nature, maybe between doing some business studies, but then also being in it. I would, when, when Lot Riot started, I had been involved in the drumline world for 16, 17, 18 years, somewhere around there from like sixth grade to, you know, when 2011 or something. And you asked about materials and you asked about design and quality. It's what you're describing for George Mason is what I was thinking for TCI and is what we try to do for a lot, right? We can't just model ourselves after what's been successful. We can't just um, make sh- the shirts because they're cheap and the margins are high. If we really value, and I think that was happening culturally is what you're saying in the marching arts activity. And as well as, you know, the, the generation Z's that got into high school drumline, if we value them and we see them as, as humans with skills, with futures, we need to treat them as such, both from artistic designers to, um, instructors who are not trying to create robots anymore. And I feel like that was a little bit of my education in high school and drum corps. There was a little bit of robot construction. That's what fell from a bigger cultural thing. And I don't know if that's social media. I don't know if that's a turn of, you know, the generational uh, evolution, but we wanted to represent that. And as early as possible, it wasn't a matter of, I, I truly felt that if I didn't do it, someone was going to do it soon. Um, and we, we had to take advantage of that. It was a, it was a easy extension. I feel from where I was designing and where I was teaching and where I saw the activity going and the relationship I had with the students, I was never a gear guy. I was never a music writer. I designed some visual stuff, but my passion for the activity was the relationship with young people and seeing, you know, kids get older and get smarter and get better and becoming rad people. And that's where I felt like Lot Riot could fill that void where there are tons of great educators and there are tons of great writers. And I needed to find my own, maybe it was a personal quest a little bit to find my own little way in the activity. I love that. Yeah. It's really hard to be one of the 25 DCI world-class Rangers. There's only X amount of cores. There's only X amount of independent world groups. You can start one. It's really hard. Uh, There's only X amount of, drill writers and obviously a different conversation to be had and maybe uh, uh, related to the story of lot ride is this this separation of and i don't know if this is related but that there is a top one percent of people who are doing this and they are recycled in all these groups and then everyone else is clawing to get their voice heard and it's really hard. Like every group in Texas has this drill writer and this music writer and, and this program coordinator. And it's, it's very much homogenized like that. And that I think is unfortunate. And it's one of the components and it is related to what we're talking about in some way 
is this about creativity or is this about easy consumption and your your profit margins uh, and your your investment and things like that? It's tough, you know, and, and thinking about a clothing brand coming in or thinking about a small business coming in and looking at already how this works. There's clearly a parallel between small businesses in in the real world and in the marching arts. We've got multinational corporations with infrastructure and all that. But to bring it back is none of them care about apparel. Yes, we get our sponsor shirts. And that's not to say, you know, all the companies that support me, uh, all their stuff is amazing and great. But none of them would say we're an apparel brand. They're drumsticks. They're a drum. They're uh, uh, hardware. They are the wraps. They are the floor, whatever. There's still not that many. And and once Lot Riot sort of lit that fuse, we've been seeing some of these other brands come out. And in on one hand, having competitors is probably a sign that you you created some kind of movement in the activity, which is dope. And then the other side is like the biting and the reproduction. So that's a that's a weird thing. And we've talked about that before. So it's like for you. What's going to set you apart? What's going to be as we go forward in Lot Riot 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, however many years, however many iterations in we are, what's the thing that keeps you set apart? We feel like we do a great job at shows. And it's difficult to really scale that up and be at every show around the country. But when we sit around and we're talking about the things that we're excited about, we're talking about the things that we do well, we love going to Dayton. And having the raddest booth with the raddest people staffing it and creating a an experience that hopefully lifts you up if you come to our booth and hang out with us and have a conversation and we're not trying to shove selling a t-shirt down your throat. We're there to hang out and really encourage some of the younger students who might be there for the first time, who might feel overwhelmed, who didn't make semis or finals. What is actually happening is you are in a larger conversation. You are meeting people that are in your tribe to use an overused marketing word, right? Um, we want to get them excited to come back, to get them excited to sign up for Drumline next year. I think the one thing that we do best is that sort of Dayton booth experience. Um, and when we do smaller shows, we try to have that right booth again with the right people. And the product is a byproduct, byproduct, product, byproduct. Anyways, <laughs> I, I remember marching at uh, at Southwind. Our director is Patrick Seidling, who went on to uh, also direct at Phantom Regiment, and now he's with the Blue Devils. And one of the things that he said that always stuck with me is that if you do things right, if you do things for the right reasons, if you do things high quality, if you treat every rep, every show as important, competitive success will be slow but will eventually happen. If you teach to the test, if your goal is to win this year, you're gonna have a really tough time of it. And when you don't win, you're going to be disappointed. Every day, every contest, you're gonna be but you're gonna be bummed. But what if you put in the work early? What if you really strive for quality? What if it's a human experience? What if it's a quality experience? You'll eventually get success because you're going to attract the right people. You're going to design the right things. And um, that's kind of been our little drum corps bleed over philosophy is let's do the right things. Let's make high quality gear. Let's not 
just print the cheapest on the cheapest for the most money. Um, which, in terms of business, you know, we we could cut corners easily. It it might even be business advantageous for us to do things a little cheaper. Uh, but I'm just not I'm just not interested, and that maybe disqualifies me from ever having like a million dollar CEO position at some mega corporation because that's just not in me. And it's 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 similar to where the story of TCI. The, the competitive versus the, the art didn't mesh. And I'm still team art um, when it comes now to art and, it, and experience versus profits. Um, again, that might be a, some people are hollering at their phones or their you know computer saying, Matt, you're an idiot. But well, I don't know. I mean, you, you guys, I think it's clear have, have maintained the status and the, through the quality. So I'm all I'm definitely hearing what you're saying. It reminds me of just a thought that I've had conversations I've had about value um, and that we live in this really weird situation where things that are better cost more and people don't want to pay for that. They want high quality for cheaper. So And like, I'm not the, I guess I'm not always the best example because like I drop a lot of money on like shoes and clothes, as you know. So that's not always the most pragmatic thing to do, um, but it's important to me. I, I have a creative interest in fashion and footwear. And I believe that if you spend the right money for the quality, that's an investment. You know, when you get a pair of Ray Bans, they're going to last you for like 10 years. You're probably going to lose them before they break or get messed up. But then we look at companies like Walmart and Amazon who are exporting their labor overseas. The quality of their goods is very low. And the, the personal relationship with the company is just not there. So, and, and this actually for me relates to even the cost of marching drum corps and indoor drum line this is like such a huge uh conversation activity as i'm sure everyone's aware the costs are going up but i will still say that the students want the highest level instruction from the most qualified people and those people are still vastly underpaid oh gosh yeah so we're we're asking these people who are professionals, they have master's degrees, doctorates, decades of experience in the activity to work for under minimum wage. We're all arguing minimum wage to be, needs to be higher, yet the cost of the activity is going up. It's meeting the standards of inflation. But then the, the amount that we get paid as instructors, it hasn't caught up. So there's this very odd thing where it's like we want better and more, but we don't want to pay more for it. And I just am confused by that. And I don't know what to make of it because my, my personal opinion is if you want something that's quality, it, it is going to have a slightly higher like monetary value on some level. Sure. I don't know if there's a question in there. Yeah, I don't know either. But how many great drum corps instructors have we seen leave the activity or turn down jobs to teach a, a not great marching band band camp, right? They're not even using their their high level skills, but they're getting paid three times as much. Yes, you know I did it personally. Um, 
I can't, I got to get off tour or I can't do it this summer because I'm actually going to, you know, make some money and pay some rent. So you're right. I mean, I, I, I'd hate to calculate an hourly wage of what's happening for some of the young instructors on tour. It'd be wild. If we, here's the problem though. Why? Our whole culture is like, we don't talk about money and we don't talk about how much we get paid. And then we're held to the standards of social workers, psychologists, yeah, yeah. teachers, coaches, all that. So it's like, look at what we now have to do to qualify to teach any group at this point. Yet we are afraid to talk about what our value is. And at the same time, I'm supposed to work and be a professional. It's very, that is, that is not okay. I think that's a little bit uh, toxic in our activity, not, not you, but that we all, that is a symptom of, oh, we don't talk about, you know, I have taught groups where I don't see a contract. I don't know how much I'm getting paid yet. I'm supposed to show up at 9am like, and be the most like positive coach. It's like, yo, this is a job. And you're telling me this, I'm supposed to treat this like a job yet. You're paying me like I am. It's not a job. Let's just say that. So that's for me, we've got to figure that out because it's sending a message all the way down to the level of a brand or a company in the way that we envision what we should put our money into. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. The economics of the entire system is suspect. I, I don't know how much deeper to even go. I, I, I don't, I, I could tell you about running a small independent world ensemble and our, you know, financially, it was just, it's, it's wild. The, the, the amount of time we asked of our staff, I can't, I can't thank them enough. I mean, I know it was 10 years ago, but I want to write them all cards and say, thank you. This is insane. I can't. And and it's even evolved more since then. At the time I was indebted. And now we understand things even more and we've placed an even bigger value on people and their time and their energy. And I can't to go back in time and do that would be, I would have, I would have a difficult time doing that. I'm sure all those people know damn well that you're, you know, that you're thankful. And, you know, on the flip side, even at GMU, I work months. I'm not getting paid. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I wake up in the morning and it's like GMU. I'm I'm going to sleep at night and I'm like, oh man, you know, like this happened in the design meeting. And I'm like, I'm thinking about it. And like, like if you're passionate about something, there's no hours. I'm, I'm working at GMU while I sleep. So I know that there isn't a monetary value, but I also understand because I'm on the inside of it is that that ensemble is doing everything it can to, to pay me fairly and compensate me fairly. So it's no, that's no like shade to any group. Cause I know most groups are doing what they can. That being said, that being said, if you are spending a hundred thousand dollars on props that the students don't even touch and that have a one point effect on your score, you need to pay your staff more and get rid of those props. Like, I'm sorry if I'm talking shit and I will, cause I don't care. And this is my podcast. I'm looking at groups, making decisions about props that no one's looking at. And that have a very little, if your program relies on a prop, we've got to rethink where we're headed. This is like the whole thing is we've got to, we've got to cut, we got to dial this back and go all that money could have gone to those texts. And these real people who have lives and like, I hate that we are creating economic barriers to design period. I don't think that's right. Uh, yeah. Amen. I left TCI with 
not with money in the bank, but with debt. I, yeah. between when I got there and when I left, I, thousands of dollars debt in, in my name <laughs> yeah. that I, there's a, I mean, there's a credit card. I'm still, you know, it was 10 yeah. years ago, but I have been totally yeah. cut that credit card up, which is kind of insane. Yeah. So I, I do, this is, this is an awesome segue as someone with insider business, you know, formal knowledge and training, what can independent groups or drum corps or whoever do to run more like a business so they're not leaving with debt, but that they can actually make money and pay their staff more fairly and buy all the props they want? Like, how do we do this better? Wow. You, you we treat it like a small business and maybe have someone on your staff that understands what that means, um, potentially incorporate um, and run a system that's, uh, there's a book that I read recently, Profit First. There's a whole lot of small business uh, books that might be interesting. You are a business, whether you're a registered nonprofit or we, back in the day, we just registered as a small S corp um, just to kind of protect ourselves so we can get a bank account. So we yeah. could actually check things in that we ran our cash flows every week. We saw where money was going. It's not that hard. It doesn't take that long. It should not be a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I checked the bank statement today and we have $0 or $100 or negative $100. If you've reached that point, you are way behind in planning for financial success. This is It's actually a good question. And I, I, I wonder if maybe that's something that I could work on is kind of a five-pointer, 10-pointer for a small independent ensemble or even some of the scholastic groups have independent budgets. Maybe there is some financial guidance that we can, um, that, I mean, you with some of the more modern uh, knowledge as well. And I've seen those spreadsheets. I've seen those, uh, those Dan Shack spreadsheets. Hey, uh, maybe we could work on something <laughs> like that. Maybe a little, you know, a little one page or just a, cu- a couple pieces of wisdom. That'd be, that'd be really interesting. I think that's super useful because man, like, like I was saying, we are, social workers and psychologists and educators and coaches. And also we're uh, accountants and we're business owners or we're business operators. And these are people who like don't have this background. It's it. And maybe that's what makes this cool. Like I do like that you look across like the design teams and everyone like, you know, we all did band, but we have different backgrounds. Like, I think that's dope. I don't think we all need to have the same formal background, but the fact that nobody has a business background and you're moving pretty large amounts of money around and just investing time and money without much foresight. I feel like there is an absolute need for that type of information out there because right now what we do is we like, that's not, we don't talk about money here because this is educational. Well, look what's going on in public schools because the financial situation is in ruins. In, in the public school system. So it's like money creates more quality education. Right. We know that we already know this. So it's just very weird to me. We like shield like, oh, these are students and they need to just have an authentic experience. And like they do, but like, yo, if you're underpaying your snare tech, they're going to be burnt out and they're going to teach worse. I'm sorry, but if I show up to a gig and you haven't laid out a contract for me, I'm like half thinking like, am I going to get paid for this? What can you expect out of it? We we definitely need help. I think that there is much help needed in in that. And we shouldn't pretend like 
money doesn't change the way these groups operate. Here's here's two two points that while you were talking, I kind of came up with. Number one, every organization should have their goals. What is the goal of this ensemble? And if you want to say it's to win a gold medal, fine. I suggest you don't. But if you want to, go for it. If your goal is to create an educational experience for your students, do it. If your goal is to create a creative and athletic experience, I don't know, coming up with random goals, pick your goal, stick with it. And then knowing your budget, first of all, have a budget, know what your pool is going to be at the beginning of the year, and then assess every single dollar to see if it gets you towards that goal. That's as simple as you can make it. If it's an educational experience and teaching rudiments to high school kids, then you need to pay your snare tech and not buy a prop, etc. Once you get past that, then you can assess future dollars to see if the return on that investment is a good one. That, I, I think that's as plain as it can go, right? Have a goal, have a budget, and then assess every dollar to see if what you're spending gives you a return towards your goal. And I, I, I know ensembles that don't do that. It's, it's, uh, it's competition first, or it's prop first, or it's, um, you know, new drums first. Now, those could all be part of your plan. Those could all get you towards the goal. But what you have now, what you have in the future, and just check to see if that dollar is being well spent. Are you looking for a high-quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts? That Dan Band Show is brought to you by Lot Riot Apparel. Lot Riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts. And he definitely accomplished that goal. There's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. Lot Riot is currently offering listeners of That Dan Bancho 15% off all purchases on LotRiot.com. Simply go to LotRiot.com and use the code DANBAND, one word, at checkout, and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast use the code DANBAND will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Bancho pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. To go back to sort of some of the conversation we're having earlier, I I see some of that relating to how you brand the group or branding the group at all. And one thing that I've been doing since really taking the helm of the creative side at Mason is that merch side of things because I look at artists out there that I'm inspired by and the way that they roll out 
their stuff. And we live in a drop heavy, exclusive world, whether it's the sneakers app, whether it's uh, Kanye's merch and his new stuff with Gap, or whether it's Travis Scott, we live in this like hype beast, exclusive drop world. And I'll tell you, it's thrilling. I'm all about it. I love that exclusive thing. We were like, where is this drop even at? Okay. I got to go to Travis Scott's website and like, he just says drop soon. And then it opens and you're in a queue. Like, I think that's dope. I don't really care what people's opinions are. Like, I think that's super fun and it makes it an experience. And when you see people wearing the shoe that you put effort into getting, that's hard to get. You're like, it starts a conversation and it is that, that community aspect. So with Mason, I've wanted to always create that exclusive like drop vibe. And it started in 19 with the pink fringe shirts with the Frank Ocean print and the, the album that Joseph Noah like actually printed and signed and gave out at finals. Yeah, and cool. I think that, that it was, it was dope, but it was like, this is so cool for indoor drumline, but this is what everyone does in rap music and hip hop. Right. Why in the world aren't we doing this? Yeah. Why aren't we doing that? Should we do that? I guess. Should, do you do you agree with my perspective on this? Dude, that's 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 part of the culture of your ensemble. That makes you unique. That makes the Travis Scotts and some of these big stars unique. And I think not every not every genre of music is doing that. To use your music artist as an example, uh, Tim McGraw probably isn't dropping, you know, <laughs> dropping kicks this weekend. But no. that's fine with his audience, right? So yeah. you're creating, by doing that, you are creating a culture, you're creating hype, you're creating status for your members and for your ensemble that's going to get more kids in the door. And then if we follow this, you're creating culture. You're creating some excitement. You're getting more kids in the door. Where are we heading? We're heading towards your goals with your ensemble, which is probably creating a good experience for students that has some competitive success, right? So what you are doing are the far reaches of what we just talked about for setting goals and bringing it all back to achieving your goals. And merchandising and hype building is absolutely one of those ways to uh, achieve those goals and you probably sell more merch because of it. You know, those merch drops are going to do better because there's a level of exclusivity because it's quick because it's rad and you're creating these sort of moments. Um, And other ensembles could very well do that and copy that, but that's in their own sort of space to do it or not do it. Um, I think you are a good example of taking what's happening in the wider artistic culture and applying it to indoor drumline, which is what we're trying to do as well. There are brands that exist. There is culture that exists. And where there is a gap is that no one for the longest time was saying to our students, to our drummers, to the marching arts as a whole, whether you're a trumpet or a color guard or you're in the front ensemble, no one's been saying your sacrifice is appreciated. What you're doing is rad. The lifestyle that you're living is hard, but you're creating these athletic, beautiful, artistic moments and it should be celebrated. And we're going to celebrate that through something uh, cool 
something that fits, something that looks good, and something that puts you on the level of some of these other activities. That's where I feel like we have, you know, not, we've felt inferior for so long. Let's stop that. We aren't. Our, our culture is not inferior. Maybe it doesn't quite have the photographic ski slope of a skier or the arena 40 times a year that's full in your hometown, full of 30,000 people. But what we're doing is, is, is all of those things combined together and where we've had difficulty and this sort of inferiority is all these old stereotypes. And I think to go back to one of your previous points, and please stop me if I'm just nonsense rambling, but one of your earlier points was the activities evolving from a militaristic background, a, a tick system, right? It's, it's built from the, the military. I absolutely love, if you follow a lot right on Instagram, you see a lot of our old uh, vintage drumline posts. You can't find someone who's as interested in some of those aspects of the historical drumline culture than I am. I absolutely love it. And I love finding old vintage photographs. It's so cool. But you're seeing the evolution to an artistic activity and athletic right. activity away yeah. from a militaristic activity. And from that, we are all going to be able to hopefully, you know, those stereotypes are going to break quicker now because of the advances in the activity itself. Um, some of those stereotypes may have been truer 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we're just trying to catch that wave. And, and just the same as you are doing with Mason, that's the wave that we should be on is taking notes from some of the activities and some of the, you know, cultural touchstones in the 21st century. A lot of folks are still in this sort of old fashioned sensibility with the marching arts and that's changing. If they, and if they stay, stick to it, um, they might, they're going to get passed. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to figure out because I'm obviously in my own bubble. I'm trying to figure out why individuals who are leading the charge in, let's say indoor drumline, where I feel like I have probably the most influence with my group, why individuals wouldn't want to be putting out products that are widely accessible from an intellectual or popularity standpoint. I feel like something happened at some point where I was just like, why in the world are we choosing this repertoire that is for nobody it's for like the two judges up there why are we choosing costuming that makes our students uncomfortable like i like my thing is the merch is the uniform the merch is the costuming and even with mason this year i don't know if i sent you our uniform this year because it's mocked up but it's streetwear because what's gonna make your student shine and perform and feel authentic in your show is letting them wear something that's a little more like what they would wear anywhere else. And I know that's not for everyone. Like my style isn't for everyone. And I get, I am infusing my personal style into the group that I teach because I get to do that. But I'll tell you this, I don't see people walk around in brown and tan fuzzy onesies with the pinstripe and like your nipples are out. And it's just like, Oh my God, like, who dressed you? Like literally who dressed you? Who thought that this is going to make your student feel confident? And I'll go back to the conversation we had when we first met over the phone was the shoes we're wearing are all wrong. 
like these clunky and, and I'm so glad like people wearing the Cortezes and wearing the Pumas and wearing the the different shoes, the Asics. Like it's great that groups are doing that and I'm all about that. And it's wild to me that there's all these amazing shoes out there that work for what we do. And we wear like the MTX and that shout out Michael Cesario. We know each other, but damn, they're ugly. Those are not cool. And I did not feel cool wearing that. So there's, and there's differences like, yo, when you're in the Cavaliers uniform, like I wore that thing and it was bad ass. Like I love the, the Aussie and the plume and, and like so many great people before me had worn that uniform. So many legends, there's a place for that. And I'm, I'm with you like uniformity and clarity. There's, there's a place for it. Don't dress your student in fuzzy onesies. Don't design shows that aren't, they don't have a thing to do with your students. To me, it's so crazy that people are still doing that. And it's like, I, I don't want to say that there's not a place for like super old guys, but like we still have a generation of like pretty old white dudes who have no clue what's going on with their students or anything in their lives. And they're the ones that are either like making the decision on the tape or they're the ones designing the show. I'm like, get out because <laughs> you don't know what is good for your student. Like it just makes no sense to me. And I know that's like pretty aggressive, but whatever we're like in it, we're in a hypothetical conversation in a way, but you have to know what's cool for your student. If you want your student to come back, if you want the, the, the show to speak to them personally. Yes. You're describing the, the struggle of an artist, right? Who's trying to create a new sensibility, a new style of art that is, is revolutionary to tons of previous generations across all art forms, right? There's why are these old radio executives making decisions about, you know, the new style of music? I will say though, that the brown fuzzy onesie, the, you know, the, the, the velvet pajamas, as we used to call them, (laughs) they are still new school to some people. You go back in time, 15 years, gosh, I think the very first WGI championships, I don't know what year it was in the eighties, late eighties, something like that. They're wearing marching band uniforms, man. They're wearing, and not even what we now know today as, you know, marching band uniforms. They're wearing like tails and ruffles and cummerbunds, man. Wool. Legit wool. So we're not too far away from military uniforms on a WGI floor. So to expect us to move through the velvet pajama generation. Oh my gosh.com. I'm like, I'm taking that velvet pajama generation. You got it. That'll name of my it. podcast. And I'll just, you know, nineties indoor drum line all day. Nail it. You heard it here first, baby. Right. That'll be, <laughs> or at least a t-shirt. That's still new and painful. I'm sure to someone painfully. new. Right. Right. So you are, Everything you say is like true and feeling and accurate. And it's two generations past what our students want and what they will feel correct on. And it's the people who are going to be able to adapt to that and what you're saying and actually key into the life and forgive me for saying emotion of our students. Um, The people who can adapt to that will be the ones who are successful in breaking those boundaries and moving forward and that may come at the expense of competitive success because they're those artists won't be the ones in the judge's booth for quite some time. And even when that happens, when you 
you won't be. Maybe you will. But when you're the chief judge 30 years from now, some some my my kid's gonna be like, oh Dan Shack. What an old, old balls. Get that guy out of here. When they're on hoverboards and whatever. Yeah. I lost my train of thought when I just thought of drum lines and and hoverboarding. Oh, this is what I was thinking about. <laughs> what I was thinking of is there's also this weird issue with we compete in a in a space where there's rules. So some of those rules create friction with creativity. 2019 is a great example. I'm going to probably use these examples for the rest of my life because it was like such a cornerstone year for me, at least. Maybe rap music has no place in drumline if all the judges need to hear are the words because we had words that were wrapped. And if you ask me, you could tell what the dude was saying, but the judges compulsory. I can't understand every word and therefore I'm going to talk over the rest of what he's saying. And now I can't hear what they're saying. So it's like we are programmed to call these things out because it's easy when you don't know what else to say. That's a g- easy thing to do with that narration is, oh, I can't hear what they're saying. Well, damn, when I listen to Eminem, it's not about every word. Right. It's about the rhythm and it's about the technicality about of his flow. flow. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's like, why does it have to be about your ability to name everything? And I think that some judges are really good at this. Like when I like I'm going to be interviewing Omar Carminades down the road here, and he's one of those judges. Oh, I love Omar. Yeah, and he can watch something and he can pick out everything that's going on. But he's not like, and he's just an honest judge, and he has an amazing like analytical and synthesis oriented mind. There are judges out there who are at the point where they can't access that level, and there's like, what's the guy saying? How about just be along for the ride and not trying to be so analytical about, well, I can't hear every word. No one does that listening to music music. It's but when we're at the, in the drum line and the drum core realm, we don't look at it like a song. We're looking at it like something else because it, you have to like use the, the, the words on the sheet. You have to use them in some way instead of just like, oh, this is a 10 or this is an 8.8 or this is like a seven or whatever. We experienced that a little bit with some of our more modern shows of 10 years ago, but like some of our shows were maybe not executed all that well, but conceptually we thought they were on the leading edge. We referred to the traditional story of the rite of spring, right? Stravinsky's piece that created literal riots in the stands, right? Stands thinking totally WGI. There's a piece of music that blew people's minds so hard. There were they fought. Phys- they fought their physical <laughs> reactions. That's a real human. Those those people weren't idiots. They weren't necessarily critics either. But when there is something so new, when there is something so fresh, it's funny to talk about Stravinsky as fresh. Yeah. There's something so revolutionary that people physically couldn't handle it. Imagine you're sitting in the stands with a tape recorder and a rubric to analyze a piece of art and it doesn't fit inside the box. There are good judges who can think that and internalize that and find new places for it, maybe within the realm of their rubric. But it's tough for me to really, that's such a human experience to hear something new and think it's life-threatening. Like, do I hear a 
a breeze in my new tree or do I hear a the rattle of a snake? Like there's something deep in us that doesn't like new, that doesn't like fresh. And I can only say congratulations for rattling people. It's a great point. It's a great point. I don't know if you saw little Nas X came out with these like Nike Air Max 97s yeah, yeah. with yeah. like the drop of blood. Yeah. And and people literally were like freaking out like a Satan shoe, like blah, blah. It's like these are like progressive people now like flip. Our whole like orthodoxy is so like flipped on its head that it, it trickles in every direction. It's like these, like you are an artistic, creative person and something got you to the point that you're like a, a judge and you clearly are one of the people that rose to the top of this. And now you're that person trying to sort of conserve what it used to be. Like it's literally like a political issue on some hand because you have the fear of the new and the fear of progressing. Right. And it's this weird, weird tension with that where it's like, I don't know what that is. So I'm scared. Right. And it's just like, what can't you just experience something for the first time? Yes. It's not. Yeah. I wonder, I have no information as to what's being said and like the judge's training, but what's in there. What's, what are they told to do in that sort of moment when somebody does something really new and fresh? I don't know. If it's clean, uh, right. the clarity of intent is there. Yeah. I guess the question is if, the, if it's like an effect thing, does it affect you? And I, I would argue that in that moment, it clearly did affect you if you if it's new and you don't know. And even if you dislike it, weren't you haven't you been to totally misuse the system? But haven't you been affected by it? And, and let me ask you this. We're going to go in. We're, we're down a, a freaking rabbit hole and I am here for it. Let me ask you this. And this is touchy, but we this is worth thinking about is Carolina Thunder 1990, whatever, eight or something. Oh, they gosh. do the Holocaust show. Yeah, right. And I don't know if they sucked or whatever, but it was obviously received in a, in a certain way. But then I want to ask, like, why is there why should there be subject matter that is real that we can't touch on or interpret in our space without it being taboo? Uh, Music City Mystique 2013. They did the uh, they did the BDSM Fifty Shades of Grey show. I think it was 2013. Um, Northmont 97 does Dante's Inferno and does a hell show. I remember that too. Yeah. This is an art form. If we can't do it here, where can we do it? And it's like, well, there's children in the audience. It's like, do you understand what the internet is? And like, this is a, a, another major thing out there. Not just the drum line world is like, you know, swearing or whatever. Like, wow. It's like, do you know what their kids know how to navigate the internet better than us? So to think that we should shield them from the subject matter, it, it's kind of silly. You know what I mean? And it, I don't want to derail my own question, but like, can you do a show that is artistically viable about the Holocaust or about genocide, for example? I know that's crazy, but it's happened. It's literally happened in the last however many years. Right. Are, are these shows, are these subject matters now like off limits? Is that some sort of written or unwritten rule? I would feel pretty uh uncertain trying to go in that direction for sure i don't have a super strong opinion but i was involved in a uh consultation of some indoor color guards a couple years ago one of the guards wanted to do a an unmasking of muslim women show yeah they wanted to start the show with their girls in uh, hajibs forgive me for not saying the correct uh technical 
uh, names. But they they started in like full body, you know, totally covered up. And then by the end of the show, whether it's women's their interpretation of women's liberation or the Muslim religion, they were going to have the women take all of their things off and complete the show as a as a as a new being, as a enlightened woman. And sitting in the room and having a voice to encourage or discourage this, I discouraged it. Um, I did not know how in a high school setting, the girls, the parents, and uh, the small circuit would be able to correctly and artistically express their views while walking what would potentially be a fine line between religious freedom, First Amendment rights, um, and it was it wasn't too. I must have been like two thousand seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there, and it was still it as a result of nine uh, eleven was still kind of on the minds of this particular director designer. I think that's at least a large factor, a large variable in making decisions um, for shows like you've described. I would be really interested to hear maybe you talk to either a designer or a member to see what sort of groundwork may have been laid for those students, if any at all. And if you are really entertaining the idea of doing a show along these lines, what sort of groundwork, what sort of presentation, what sort of individual work might need to be done to protect your students from any sort of duress or um, you know, cause, cause we try to bake emotion into these kids a little bit, right? There should be some self-expression, whether it's like the, the fake old fashioned nineties, two thousands emoting, which is the worst thing that ever happened to the activity. Oh my gosh. And the smile cry, the eyes are crying and the mouth is smiling. I want to, I want to punch your face right now. I want to punch it. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> if you want to purchase, put some sort of personal emotion <laughs> and identity into your show, can you have it both ways? Can you do a show that is purely commentary or are you trying to, like you said, talk to your students and get them really involved and own it before they perform it? Um, that's another layer of, of make sure you're, you know what you're doing. Hey man, uh, we are in such a critical moment of just how we are even like looking at history and history class. And then you want to, it's like, doing it in a theatrical space, it's, it might be expressed better. I mean, we're grappling with, you know, the way that we even were taught these narratives and how all these narratives have, have focal points or have subjectivity baked into them. And what truth is versus truth is like, we're at a, such a weird time. I would think that it's, it's a better time than ever to, to navigate some of those things through an artistic form something that came to mind was 2012 fantasia they did a show called a good german and it was almost this meta approach to color guard and drum corps and our activity as this like militaristic highly militarized thing so it, they were able to draw on the aesthetic of rifles and of some of those like things that we don't even think about and then it's like we spin rifles and sabers and then the military industrial complex is still very much at play. So it's like, Oh, this is not back then. This is like now the thing you're talking about with um, middle Eastern women taking off on their head coverings. This is not like a past subject. And 
to I think it's very dangerous to look at a subject matter like that and say we can't touch that because we are being bullied out of expressing our thoughts around that. And maybe like you and I aren't the people to like be the deciders of that in that specific situation. But if you asked me like, we're going to do a show about like white masculinity in America in 2021, I'd be like, that is cool as shit because there is a place for that. And people need to think about that subject with a lot more delicacy and a lot more depth than you get from headlines and you get from out there. So it's this weird thing where it's like, I know it's drums in a gym, but also like, if not us, then who type deal. And obviously I haven't like done a show about that. Uh, but you see shows. And then on the flip flip of this is you see people do shows about this and they're bad. And then you're like, there's nothing worse than that. You do a yeah. show about, about a, a student's suicide and it just isn't a good show. And you're like, dude, dude. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, keep it in the notebook, right? Keep it in the notebook of future shows and slowly develop that thing. And then as long as you can, you get everyone on board. And I, I think you could do something like that. It would probably need to be in an independent group just because I the politics of school and parents is absolutely insane. Um, so maybe fit for an independent group, someone with like, a creative touch develop over some time. I think that'd be really interesting. Oof. I'm getting all types of ideas that would get me in trouble. Uh, and, <laughs> but those are good. I, I don't know. Those, those tend to be, they, they can be worked out. We did get in trouble on uh, 2015. We did the deconstructed show at cadets winter percussion, RIP to, to CWP. Uh, and, and, you know, that was where we got our start. You know, the team I'm on now, Travis Peterman, Andrew Montero and myself, it's where we really got our start. And 2015, we were with Mark Sylvester, who was just an OG legend. He's like a true artist. Like I was in his loft in, in Bed-Stuy and he, he's a visual artist and, and drill is one of his mediums, but he does all sorts of mixed art and things like that. And he was like really obsessed with refrigerators. And we did the deconstructed show with the refrigerator. And originally the end of that show was their uniform. You had the snap off pants and the top and the vest. And we originally had them like bring in their own underwear. And at a high school show, the end of the show, they stripped down to their underwear and we got banned from that school. The year after we caught flack galore, like a lot of flack because we're an independent group. So we had like, you know, 18 to 23 year olds is at a local school where there's high school students and on one hand, it's like, yeah, that was probably a little bit of a misstep. And we ended up, they still had underwear, but it was more uniform. There was like more thought out. So for some reason that was less like atrocious to the masses or whatever. On one hand, I see why they were put off by that. And then on the flip side, it's like you are instilling fear in children around bodies and their own bodies. And there's nothing more natural to all of us except our naked bodies. And how are you going to tell me that this is not allowed? Like this is the essence of us. We are, that's just it. So I hate this idea where it's like, we are, we instill like a fear in a child around their own bodies that leads nowhere good. If you ask me, I don't know. Yeah. Go get them, Dan. 
I don't know. I, I don't know if I have a point. I just like, I get why you're, you're like reacting, but like, can we think about this is like part of the problem is like you react to what you see, but you don't actually think about what, how that trickles down. Sure. Cause our whole thing is like, this is, this, this, this versus like what? What's the root cause? What's the reality of this when we go deeper? But go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 no. I, I, I was going to say that you are exactly the type of person that should be conceiving of shows and then like interpreting them through the modern lens, the modern culture. Um, there are, but then a lot of people might, might be listening. Well, they're probably not listening anymore. They probably stopped listening twenty minutes ago, but. There are people who think that there's this, this, especially on an, uh, a scholastic level, is no place for cultural commentary. It's no place for bigger issues. We are playing a Billy Joel show, and here's our opener, our ballad, and our closer. And this is for the entertainment of our audience for eight minutes. And if we get to the essence of our activity and why we're doing it, I still find some value in that. You are still have students who are in a controlled environment who are getting mathematical and athletic skills and becoming musicians to some degree. So there's value there. You have a luxury at this point of being at such a high level of conceptual thinking for the art form. And we need people like you in it. Um, you may continue to struggle to, you know, design shows for the local high school. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm I'm lucky because I'm doing the independent world thing now forever. So I, I'm I'm in that in that mindset. And I guess at the high school level, I do understand that there are students of various creeds and backgrounds, and I would never suggest that those are illegitimate. I think people have a right to have religious backgrounds different than mine and to have different orthodoxies than mine or other people. I love that. In fact, I think that's where the donuts get made, really. And my whole thing is your interaction. And this is like what I probably learned most from like doing the literature background thing is you're just suspending your disbelief for this short time. If you come into this drumline space and you're like, Oh God, oh, this is really, really uncomfortable. It's not forever. Everybody. It's not going to last forever. It might inform you. It might help you feel empathy for a, a style of life that isn't your own, but it's not going to last forever. And no, no one's telling you that this is life now, you know? So like, I think that is important is even if you have, this background that conflicts with like this thing that you're looking at little lot, Nas X's Satan shoes. What is it really doing to you? What pain is being inflicted on you because you saw a picture of a shoe with the drop of blood. in right. it? It's just, right. it's the mindset of people that are incapable of going like, what can I take away from this thing? That's making me feel alienated in my belief system. There's something there to be taken away that if you just go like this, you get nothing out of it. That, that's that's the thing that I don't, I think can probably benefit anybody of any background is this is going to be good for you, even if you reject it, but you have to give it a chance so that you can have a real opinion and thought formed around it. 
Right. That's 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 your you're describing art of all kinds. And some people choose to not expose themselves to art that might confuse them or challenge them. Um, and we have the additional boundary of this being a participatory art. It's not just a canvas on a wall that we can walk past, right? There are, it's, it's, it's experiential, especially for the people in it, um, which is why, you know, having that sort of groundwork laid for the people in it, I would argue that the effects of this particular piece of art, if it's an indoor drumline show, is going to have a greater impact on the performers because it's not just over in seven minutes, right? There's a, there's a deeper understanding that needs to be achieved, and there is a significantly deeper understanding in order to perform that art. And I think that's potentially where folks, if they're not on your team or in your room, create their own space from which to throw stones. Yeah. And that's that's the struggle that, I mean, that's the struggle that we're going to have. Uh, uh, going back to TCI stuff and your example with hearing the words and knowing the words, we were we were a group that had, we had a live singer. We had a, a live performer as part of our group. And I don't know if it's because the style of his singing was different because he was singing and not rapping. Then you're, it's another sort of cultural barrier that's arbitrarily placed potentially from your show, which was rap to our show, which was singing Radiohead tunes. And could you actually understand the words that he said? Maybe, maybe not. Can you understand when Tom York says I'm on a record? Not really. No. So it's another sort of cultural barrier as an example to where for better or for worse, there is a rubric and we are paying our dues to an, uh, to, uh, an organization that sets these sort of rules. I, I don't know if that hurts or helps, but you, you, are, you are speaking eloquently as an artist to about an art form that is is chained and is handcuffed. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's 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 true, man. I think it's true. Um, I think that in a way we we see and like maybe this is just like my love of transgressive people and transgressive and um, radical and like punk people. But it's like it's only transgressive until everyone else catches up. It's only transgressive till everyone else catches up. It's this, it's this weird thing well, where it's all the way out here and it's just like, what in the world is that? And then all of a sudden, everyone sounds and looks like Broken City, for example. You know, it's like, man, that thing is weird. This is, this is different. And then we all get it. We all catch up to it. So I, I feel like there's a competitive disadvantage to that. But I have very little interest doing this activity if it's going to be like in a box, I think that it's so boring and I, I don't want us to be homogenizing into what is going to get us to win. We can all buy a show that's going to win. It's going to have perfect clarity of intent and everyone's going to have the exposure that they need and it's all going to work together and be perfect and fit. But like, what about flavor and what about this style and this and the spice of individuality that we see in the groups that really commit to their identity instead of committing to what's going to make them successful. We could cut corners so that you have a higher profit margin, but you don't, you go for the quality materials back to that. Yeah. I'd argue to the point about the competitive nature. I'd argue that 
these winning shows, these medalist shows, tend to be on the cutting edge and tend to be part of their personality. And I think we would both agree that if you want that boxed show, you'll you might make finals, but you're not you're not moving forward. You know what I mean? Everyone who chases what the winner did last year aren't going to win because all those top groups are continuing to go with some, you know, reflection on what might win. But there's still, we at least have personality in the top five or six groups of the independent world scene. And if you want to copy last year's winner, 10th place is your top, right? At least there is still a, there is a culture of originality. You know, you can't say that Music City doesn't have an identity or that Broken City doesn't have an identity or that even, you know, RCC has an identity. And some of these top groups stay in their lane. That sounds awful because that makes it sound like they aren't innovating, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have the same people year to year that there's no, of course they keep, even though their shows can go like all around subject matter wise, it's still those core group of people. Yeah. Insane. Right. If, if I wanted to copy the merchandise, the gear of whoever sells the most, then I'm, then what, what am I doing? I'm not, I'm not, it's not going to advance the cause. It's not going to sell us anymore. It's probably going to sell us less because they can get it somewhere else. Yeah. I feel like lot riot has become my creative outlet where I used to design drumline shows. I wasn't the best at it. I was okay, but I get to control the pieces. I could get to, uh, you know, create some new elements. Well, as we steer it, to home base, this this has gone in the in the wackiest but awesome directions, and I'm I knew it was going to go there, so don't worry. When you were like, we're go-, you know I've done these interviews before. Oh no, we're going to go, we're going rabbit hole. But you know, so let's let's wrap it up with this. Okay, as a accomplice of your company, yeah, and as a supporter of of you as a person and of your company. Oh, thank you. Of course, and seeing where where we're headed, you know, I mean, COVID and live stuff and this. Still uncertainty around that. Oh, man. How does Lot Riot pivot? What's the future of Lot Riot to keep the steam and keep the energy that you all have established over the, the past couple of years? Well, without shows the last year plus, uh, uh, we have definitely been in a bit of a hibernation mode. I also personally have gotten, since the last time I went to Dayton, got married, moved halfway across the country. But feeling fresh for what's new, where to go next. Um, we will in spring 2022, as long as there are plenty of shows, we're going to spend, be spending a lot of time out in Southern California um, working with SCPA, which is pretty exciting. We will be working with some new artists on some new designs. We have pivoted a little bit into the custom gear. If you if your ensemble needs like custom La Riot hoodies, shorts, hats, shirts, um, hit us up and we will work with you. And we are working with people like Dan. We want to be a little more present in terms of uh, media. We are consumers of good uh, drumline, marching band sort of media, and we want to be participants in that. And yeah, it's always just new. The good news with La Riot was we were never resting on the old. We were always designing for new seasons. We tried to do two or three pretty big drops every year. And we're going to keep doing that. So in terms of some of the bigger production schedules, nothing changes, but uh, the gear will continue to change and evolve. And we even have stuff that 
hasn't been seen before at shows. Like we were, we came up with tons of stuff spring 2020 that didn't even ever make it to a show. So we have, I mean, shameless plug. I mean, these beanies are out and they're one of the best things we've ever made. And they haven't even, I don't know if they've ever been to a show. So we have some good classics that have sticking around and, uh, yeah, it feels it feels fresh. It feels good moving into 2022 to have stepped away just a little bit and gotten a little life experience and also done some shopping, done some sourcing. That's not right of the future. How underwhelming was that, Dan? No, I think that was good. I think that was good. And I'm I'm excited. Everyone out there can obviously get excited about Lot Riot's future. You guys got to get over to uh, Lot Riot's website, lotriot.com. Um, you probably heard the advertisement already run on this episode. Use that code, um, get some free stuff. And, you know, we're going to be coming out with some some other gear here in the future um, from Lot Riot, co- collab with that Dan Band show, as well as some different like media projects. So support small businesses in the marching arts. If you're true to your, you know, mission as a performer and as an educator and instructor, support this local business that uh, small and local business that really came from the marching arts originally. So that's my freaking plug. Thanks, man. I wasn't paid to say that, but I'm a big fan of what you do, dude. I've, we've been meaning to do this for a long time, so I'm excited we could get on here. And of course, everyone can look forward to uh, my custom uh, marching sneaker that's going to come out. Oh my gosh, dude, let's talk. Let's talk. I would love to do that, but let's talk. We'll see. Well, Dan, back. Hey, back at you. Honored to be here. Honored to be affiliated uh, with that damn band show and you as an accomplice for Lot Riot. Dude, love it. All right, everybody, that's it. Wrapped up. Thanks for coming. See you next time. Peace.